Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, David. The God of peace will give you the peace of God. What we've been doing is we've been fine-tooth combing through Galatians chapter 5. Uh, specifically in this text, there are two lists, and the first list is given to us by Paul, and it is a list of outcomes that happen when we operate out of our own desires. Uh, things like anger and divisions and jealousy and strife. There's a whole list of dead things and so we call, that lead to death, and so we call the, this list the dead list. And then there's a second list that he talks about, and this is a list of outcomes that happens when a person surrenders his life to Jesus Christ and then allows the Holy Spirit to begin to direct the path. And these are outcomes that make life wonderful. They are outcomes like love and joy and peace and patience. And Paul calls, there's nine of them, Paul calls them the fruit of the Spirit. It's a list of life-giving qualities, and we're going to call it the life list. So there's a dead list, there's a life list. And the thing is that God wants you to have more of all of the things on the life list, more love, more patience, more kindness, more gentleness. And those are all of the things at the end of the day that we are after anyway, and God wants to give you more of them. So each week, we're taking one of these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, and we're kind of answering four different questions. Number one, what is the fruit? What, what is it that we are called to cultivate? Number two, what's the weed that we need to get rid of? Think about in gardening terms, like if you're going to grow tomatoes, you need to get, pull some weeds. So what's the weed we need to get rid of so that this fruit will have the best chance to grow? Number three, is there a fake to watch out for? Is there a counterfeit of the fruit, something that might look like the fruit but really isn't the fruit? And number four, then what's the way to more of this that God wants to give us? If God is the ideal of all of these qualities, if he is the ideal of love and he is the ideal of joy, then, then what is it about God that we need to look at and we need to focus on and we need to catch in our own lives that will help us cultivate this uh, so more of the, the fruit can grow in our lives. And so also, as we start out each week, we are taking time to memorize Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And so each week there will be progressively more and more blanks, all right? So let's see if you can uh, hang this week as we take more of the training wheels off. You say it with me, we'll read it together. You fill in the blanks as best you can. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness. There were less of you there, but that's, uh, we'll, we'll get it. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no, one more blank, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Very good. So today, we've looked at love, we've looked at joy. Today, we look at peace. What is peace? This third aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. I want to do a little exercise here, and I want you to close your eyes, okay, to make this work. And here's what I want you to think of in your brain. I want you to think of the most peaceful scene that you can think of. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Yes, I see that hand. Thank you very much. I'm kidding. Yes. Think of the most peaceful scene that you can imagine. You got it? Okay, open your eyes. Now, would somebody be very, very bold and say, this is what I imagine. This is the most peaceful scene that I could, that, that came to my mind. Terry. Okay, a mountain and a waterfall and probably some, some a lake down there. Somebody else, back here. Your bed. Okay, Kim. A beach, Okay. Judy? The ocean. One more. Yeah. Sarah? Your dog falling asleep on the couch. Okay. Oh, in your arms. Okay. All right. First service we had like a grandmother say, my granddaughter falling asleep in my arms. Okay. Um, The interesting thing here is that when our brains go to peaceful settings, uh, some people mentioned in the first service, and I heard some of it here in the second, we go to uh, peaceful scenes like an incredible uh, mountain view, or one person in the first service said, it's me sitting on the porch swing and looking out at the countryside, and there's, it's just beautiful, and there's a meadow, you know, and the sunset's awesome. And that's kind of what we think of when we think of peace, okay? And the thing that I want to kind of direct your thoughts to is, what does it say about our brains that probably the, the, one of the first places we go to is a peaceful, is a scene that we believe is peaceful, but it's devoid of people, Like there aren't any people in our peaceful scenes. Like it's almost like we have to get away from people to have peace. Is that true? Does peace work like that? Um, Peace is not simply the absence of conflict. Peace is not simply the removal of a difficult situation in our life, but peace is the presence of all that is needed in your life for the highest good. That's the first definition we're gonna give of peace. Peace is an inner sense of well-being. So it can be present even when the storm is pounding. Peace is a state of reconciliation and oneness with other people. So it's not going away from other people. It's not getting other people out of our life. Actually, peace is an invitation for other people to come in and for us to move towards other people. The the line is this, that peace is not made with friends. Peace is made with enemies. That's what peace is. And so peace is the presence of all that is needed in your life for the highest good. So the question is, what do you need in your life for everything else to find its proper place and its proper purpose? 
If we're simply after the removal of things, the removal of a little pain or trouble or the removal of an irritating person in our life, that won't do it. Escaping won't do it. All that creates is a vacuum. And so the, the answer to peace is not to avoid. The answer to peace is to invite. And we invite the only person into our lives that can change us and make sense of everything else. And for those of you who gather here on a weekly basis and are believers in Jesus, we would say that one entity is God himself. We invite him into our lives. That's the first step. You will never find peace in your life unless God comes in and fills that peace hole that you're looking for. I mean, you're looking for all the peace and there's this hole in your heart and only he can fill it. Nothing else will. No, not all of the rocking chairs on the porches and the sunsets of earth. It's God himself. Number two, let, let's define, uh, I'm gonna give you a second definition of peace today. And it's this, peace is confidence and trust in God's wise control of your life. In the, our text today that was just read, uh, in verse seven, Paul says this, present your requests to God. In other words, he's saying pray, pray to God. And what prayer is, is a submission. Prayer is a trust in God. When we pray, we are trusting God with what is happening in our life. And Paul says, when you do that, it's the peace of God that will guard your heart and your mind. And peace has to do with steadiness. It's the only, the only way to be steady in the storm is to know the one who controls the storm and to know that he's on your side. And that's what we're doing when we lay our requests in front of him. We are saying, God, I trust you. And so let's explore those two definitions a little further with some of the other questions. The second question we've been asking is, what, are the, what is the weed that we need to get rid of? In order to develop this thing called peace in our life, there's something that's gonna compete against it. What is it? Um, I'm gonna stay right here in the scripture, verse six to seven, yeah. What does Paul write? He says, do not be anxious about anything, but let your requests be known to God and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. And I skipped some phrases there, but that's, that's the, the, those are the focal points. And what he's saying is that uh, there is a sense of peace that will come when we get rid of something. And what is it that he says to get rid of? It is anxiety. What's the weed of peace? It is simple. Anxiety, that's what Paul says. There's a great Hebrew idea of peace uh, that finds itself all the way through the, New uh, the Bible, but, but in the Old T Testament specifically. And it is this word from the Hebrew language, shalom. How many of you have ever heard the word shalom? Yeah, I see a lot of hands go up. You've heard this word. The Hebrew idea of shalom conveys an idea of total well-being. It conveys an idea of wholeness. There's a great place in the story of Joseph um, from Genesis. And Joseph is a guy who had 11 brothers and they sold him into slavery and he ends up in prison and then he ends up in the, the palace of Egypt and he rises to the top and he's the second in command of all Egypt, long story short. And his brothers that sold him into slavery are starving and so they have to come to Egypt to find some grain and he has it and he, they are bowing before him. They don't know it's Joseph, but he recognizes his brothers. And after, seeing, after not seeing his family for all this time, his father's not with them, he asks about his father. 
And he says this phrase. He says, is your father well? It's in Genesis chapter 43. The English is not real, you know, uh, uh, there's not much there. But in Hebrew, it is literally, does your father have shalom? That's the word. Does your father have wholeness? Does your father have well-being? Is, does he have everything he needs in his life for his highest good? And that's the sense of shalom. That's the God of peace that Paul says he wants to give you. God is the God of shalom, of well-being, of wholeness. And so it's no, no uh, surprise to find that the, the problem to peace the thing that competes with peace the most is the exact opposite of wholeness. Paul says it's anxiety that robs us of our peace. And Paul knows what he's doing when he writes here because the Greek word for anxiety literally means this, to be in pieces. That's the exact opposite of shalom, right? To be in pieces, Shalom is wholeness. Anxiety is to be in pieces. The word shows up in Luke chapter 10. Jesus is in a village and he's invited to the home of Martha. Martha has a sister, Mary, and we will learn later that they have a brother named Lazarus. He's famous, but it's for another story. Here in Luke chapter 10, Martha unexpectedly has Jesus in her home. And she's thrilled, but she's also terrified. And so the text says that she's running around. She's frantic. She's cleaning here. She's preparing here. She's dusting here because she's concerned about being a good host. Meanwhile, her sister, Mary, is not concerned about any of this. She couldn't care less about cobwebs or dinner plans. She's just, the text says, sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to every word. That's all she's doing. And Martha, her sister that's running around, is not impressed. As a matter of fact, she's a little miffed. She's so much miffed that she goes to Jesus and she complains. She says, my sister isn't helping at all. I'm doing all of this stuff because you've come into my house and I need help. Would you tell her to get up and help me? Here's what Jesus says. He says, Martha, Martha. Or maybe he says, Martha, Martha, Martha. I don't, I don't know. Could be. It's possible. He says, here's the word. You are anxious and troubled about many things. But Mary... She's chosen what is good. In other words, Martha, you are running around and your life is in 300 different pieces and I'm just one of those pieces. But Mary is sitting at my feet and I am her whole world right now. And that's better. Mary is at peace. Martha is in pieces. I said that backwards. Martha is in pieces while Mary is at peace. And so let's just pause right here and let's just ask the question. I don't know what you came in with today. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what, how your week was, but who would you identify with today? Are you Martha? And is your life in pieces right now? Are you flittering from one thing to the other and distracted by so much that's happening in your life? Or are you Mary today? Are you at peace because you're whole and you have everything you need for your highest good? Our lifestyle right now is pretty terrific at producing Marthas, people who are in pieces. Uh, 
If you wanna be a Mary, you have to kind of swim upstream in our culture right now. There was um, a study, over 600,000 American youth and young adults were asked about their mental health. And these are people from 15 to maybe 25, something like that. And over the last decade, they put together some, from, some stats. From 2009 to 2017, major depression among 21-year-olds uh, more than doubled. Depression surged 69% among 16 to 17-year-olds. Serious psychological distress, which includes feelings of anxiety and hopelessness, jumped 71% among 18 to 25-year-olds from 2008 to 2017. Twice as many 22 to 23-year-olds attempted suicide in 2017 compared with 2008. 55% more had suicidal thoughts, and those... Uh, were much more pronounced among girls and young women. By 2017, one out of five 12 to 17-year-olds had experienced a major depression in the previous year. Suicide rates among 18 and 19-year-olds climbed 56% from 2008 to 2017. The mental health crisis among America's youth, the anxiety that is in our culture is very real. We are all in pieces. It's not just youth, right? It's all of us. All of us are pretty good at being in pieces. How many of you buy uh, digital books and you read that way? Um, kind of the, yeah, on Amazon. And how many of you do like highlighting? When you're reading your digital book, you, you highlight. Uh, here's, here's something that you may be aware of, maybe not, but Amazon tracks all of those highlights. They know exactly what the top highlight is um, and recently they released a list of all their best-selling books, uh, like The Hunger Games, Harry Potter, uh, even classics like Pride and Prejudice. And you can look at this list and you can see what is the most highlighted uh, text in those books. And so they also did the Bible. Now, for those of you who have been ch to church for a while, right, we're, we're church people, what would you expect to be the verse that's most highlighted? I would think uh, like John 3.16, because it's always in the end zone, Right? John 3.16 must be a highlighted verse. Uh, maybe the most highlighted verse is Psalm 23. I haven't done a funeral in recent memory where people haven't asked me to read Psalm 23. It's popular. Maybe the Lord's Prayer would be one of those verses that is the most highlighted um, in the Bible. It's a very less prominent text that is highlighted more than any other text. And do you know what it is? It's this text. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We know, as a culture, we know that we're in pieces and we want solutions to our pieces. Cal Newport wrote a book called Digital Minimalism. And um, this isn't the silver bullet, okay? But he wrote about one of the things in our culture that is literally dividing us up and fragmenting us into pieces. And he says, uh, the research that has been done about phones and screens in our lives, okay, in our pockets, is 
causing us these things, are causing our brains to think differently than they ever do when we are talking one-on-one with a person or when we are even engaging words on a page. And with so many options and colors and demands, I mean, how many of you, you think, oh, I need to uh, look at the weather? And so you pull your phone out, right? to look at the weather and what happens. Oh, there's a notice on here. Oh, I got a text. And then there's, uh, there's this uh, little number and I can't have that there. So I got to go and get rid of that. Like it's some emails. So I got to delete those. And then there's a link to a website that, oh, that looks interesting. And before I know it, I have no idea why I was on my phone. Anybody? Yes. It was to, it was to look at the weather so that I could roll my car windows up and now they're going to be down and the rain's going to get in. That's what happens to us. Our brain has to literally rewire itself because our phones are designed to jump from task to task to task. Our brains aren't naturally designed to do that. Our brains work best when they focus on a single thing. Um, Neuroscience experiments have even proven that ditching your phone for even one week will begin to restore brain activity back to normal levels. And guess what else? It will allow you to de-stress and your anxiety will go down. What science tells us is that we function best and fastest when we are single-minded. And I am so glad that science was finally able to catch up with Paul because that's what he's telling us. Paul is saying your anxiety, your fragmented life, the the reason you're in pieces is is because you have allowed the weed to grow of anxiety that will rob you of peace. And when we can pull that weed of anxiety and be more focused, single-minded, whole, full of shalom, then peace will come. What about the fake to watch out for? Uh, What's the counterfeit to peace? And I don't have, I'm not gonna spend some time on this, but I want you to think about it this week. Uh, the, The answer is cynicism, cynicism. Uh, That's the fake to watch out for. Cynicism is when we remove ourselves from a situation and we stand at a distance. We just stand on the sideline. It's like being a Chiefs fan And this year, oh, they're expected to do really well. But I'm going to just distance myself here, and I'm going to say, well, I don't know. Because then, at the end of the year, if they don't do well, I can say, you see, I told you so. But if they do well, then, oh, I'm back in, baby. I was with them all the way. And from the outside, it looks like, oh, he's full of peace. He's got confidence in his team. No, I don't. Uh, I'm playing both sides. That's what happens. Cynicism allows us to distance ourselves from the situation until it works out. And then we're able to hitchhike on everybody else's efforts. And that's a fake kind of peace that goes on. One of the ways that you can tell uh, a fake um, fruit of the spirit aspect from the real one is that it's by itself. If I have peace in my life, but you don't see any love any joy, any patience, any of the other aspects, then the peace I have, guess what? It's counterfeit. It's fake. They all grow up together. That's what we, that's what we found, that it's the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruits, but the fruit. They all grow up together. And if I have real peace, then I will also have love and joy and patience and kindness and all of those other things. What's the way to more peace? 
Here it is. Paul says, he gives us two instructions to bring us more peace into our life. Number one, thank, thank. Paul prescribes us to pray with what? Thanksgiving. What does that mean? How do I do that? How do I get peace by praying with thanksgiving? And why is thanksgiving the key? And the answer is this. By praying with honest thanksgiving, before God ever answers your prayer, what you're in effect doing is submitting to whatever answer is given before the answer is given. And that's the very definition of submission. That's confidence and trust that God can control your life unlike you can control it. What was the definition we gave? It's peace, is confidence and trust in God's wise control of your life. And so when we pray with thanksgiving first, then we train ourselves to trust the God who is in control of every situation. And so we might pray something like this. God, I know that you are a God who knows what he's doing. And I've seen example after example, both in scripture and in my own life and the people around me of how you have worked even terrible things out for good. I've seen how you have rescued people, of how you have directed paths for the best outcome. And God, I thank you for ordering my life. I thank you for answering my prayers exactly like I would answer them if I knew everything that you know. I trust you. Number two, not just thank, but number two is think, think, think. Paul says, think about the right things. It's what Paul does himself in verses eight and nine. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about such things. Next slide. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. What's Paul, what Paul is telling us to do is to focus, focus, to think. Jesus himself says it this way in his sermon about worry. He says, why are you so anxious? Consider the lilies of the field. Jesus himself says, when you're anxious, think, consider all that God has done for you. And that's the way to find peace. By the way, it was the same way to find joy last week. That's why joy and peace go together really nicely. And so we think in order to combat worry. One preacher put it this way, you can either listen to your heart or you can talk to your heart. And so every day, your heart is going to tell you something. Why did you do that? How will you ever get that done? Who do you think you are? Hey, there's no way through that one. <laughs> You're really something, you know? You deserve a prize, right? Our heart will talk to us unless we teach ourselves to talk to our heart. And that's why we sang that little uh, chorus um, in Psalm 42, why so downcast, O my soul, put your hope in God. That's what David is doing. He's speaking to his heart as he writes those words. He's speaking to his heart. Why, O soul, are you downcast? Do you remember all that God has done for you? He's speaking to himself. He's saying, think about this, remember this, don't forget. 
Peace comes from talking to your heart about who you are in Jesus, reminding yourself of how God has taken care of you and has, how he's taken care of other people that you've read about because he takes care of his own and he will take care of you. And so think and speak deep truths like that into your heart and peace will come. I'm gonna call the band up and uh, we're gonna spend a few minutes on a couple ways that we need some couple things that I'm going to invite you to do to cultivate peace in your life this week. Uh, before I get to those two things, when I need to go back to the very foundational principle of finding peace in your life. It is this. You will not find peace in your life until you make peace with God. Jesus Christ is your only way to do that. He went to a cross to make peace, to reconcile us, is what Paul writes, to God because of his sacrifice on the cross. And you will not find peace, no matter how much you look for it in other things, you will never find it until you find it in Jesus Christ. That's primary, okay? And maybe there's some of you in that boat that need to step up and say, you know what? I've never, I don't, I'm not reconciled to God because I haven't ever accepted Jesus. Today's your day to do that. Most of us in here have done that, okay? So for us, I want to offer two things. Number one, I want you to invite you this week to erase a great cause of anxiety and lay down your phone right here. I have just caused a great deal of anxiety by just suggesting that. I, I get that, okay? But here's the deal. When you ditch your phone for a week, guess what happens? The world keeps spinning, baby. It's not gonna miss you. You're not gonna miss it. Laying down our phone just for one week will help our thankfulness to go up and our anxiety to go down. And maybe the worst that happens is that you miss some random guy's rant about his girlfriend not baking the bean, okay? And there's three of you in my Sunday school class that get that. And maybe I've uh, done it justice this time. Um, but some of you are saying there's pushback already. You're saying, no, 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 wait, I, I need this in my life because of work. I get it, okay? If that's you, all right, there's a card in your bulletin. I want you to pull that card out. It is this card. And maybe you need your phone for work or something else is going on in your life. I get that. You're in charge of whatever and you, you gotta get the people together and do the thing, okay. Um, but could you lay your phone down? Could you lay your TV down? Could you lay your video games down? Could you lay your iPad down just for a window of time every day? And at the end of the week, just see what happens. I'm hoping that there might be four to six of you that will literally take your phone out of your pocket and bring it up here. That's what we're gonna ask you to do. Bring your phone, just lay it up here, and we promise we will take it to the office, we'll put it in the safe, and it will be there for the week. You can come and get it at any time, no questions asked, but the goal is a week, okay? But for, for most of us, it's probably gonna be this, and there's no reason that every one of us can't say, you know what, I'm gonna lay my phone down from this time to this time every day this week, 
And if that's you, I want you to fill the card out and just bring it up and lay it with the cards that have been up here from the first service, okay? Here's the second thing I wanna invite you to. I want to invite you to make truthful self-talk a constant practice. That's what Paul says, practice these things. We know that there will be enemies that will want to come in and rob our peace. And the answer is to always tell ourselves the truth. That's what Paul is calling us to. Tell yourself the truth. Remind yourself, maybe you did sin. Tell yourself the truth. I sinned, I messed up. But also tell yourself the truth that you have a savior who has covered that sin so that you are right with God. Remind yourself of who God is and how he has saved you and how he has brought good things even out of bad situations. What will you say to yourself this week when those voices come in your life and want to ruin your peace? Tell them the truth. Make self-talk, positive, truthful self-talk, a constant practice in your life because the enemies will come. But here's the deal. The God of peace will be with you and so you will have the peace of God. That's what Paul writes. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this great peace that we have because of what Jesus has done. That we of all people can look at the God of the universe and see how he has cared for us both in history and in our own lives and in scripture and how he has brought, how you have brought amazing things even out of the deathly things in life. And Father, we know that you're in control and that you want our best, and that gives us peace. So even in the turmoil, even in the storms of life, even when there's conflict with other people, we can have peace, and we thank you that that comes from Jesus. Let us look to him, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the peace that we all need in life. And it's in his name we pray, amen.